Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. So is music going to change forever? That's what Apple claims. You are referring to spatial audio that Apple has announced that uh, is going to be uh, available for some music and some videos, and meaning some movies and things like that, TV shows, I suspect. Um, they're suggesting that the addition of, of this spatial audio effect is as momentous as going from monaural to stereo, and that stereo uh, is now passe, and the spatial audio sound, which appears, is, is a gimmick, is an effect that um, appears to place the music in a area around your body. It's, it's an optical, it's an optical illusion. It's an oral illusion. It's an oral illusion. So it's very interesting. If, in, if you've ever, if you watch sports, um, football games uh, in particular, will have crowd sounds that seem to expand beyond the stereo speakers of your TV set. That's a kind of spatial audio kind of thing. Well, it depends on your TV set. If your TV set supports Dolby Atmos, then you really get that. If not, there's still that, there's still that, you get the faux surround sound. Yeah, but it's not even that. It's like, we used to do this on the radio. Well, you can you can take certain frequencies and comb filter them out and phase them in and out so that they do appear. They appear. They do sound like they're outside of the stereo spectrum or inside the stereo spectrum. More than likely, that's the sound you would hear if a bad producer mastered something in stereo and you were listening to it on a monaural clock radio and the guy's going, where do you hear this effect on the radio? People in their cars are going to go crazy. But people listening on clock radios here because <laughs> it's all canceled out everything gets canceled out so phasing tricks are not new to stereo i d- i don't know if they'll change music forever i the demonstration that we heard done by the weekend um where he says this is what the song sounds like in stereo this is what it sounds like in spatial audio i, I thought it was kind of neat um if that's how you want to experience Music, I mean... But where did you listen to that? Well, I listened to it only with earphones. Well, then you don't hear the spatial audio. Yeah, but it was very minimal. They said, all you need is this, and they did a few phasing tricks, and there was a little bit of it. Not very dramatic, but it's it's there. And you do get a sense that the bass is lower, and the st- it wasn't just suggested to me. I, I, I knew what to listen for. Okay, so a lot of things in, in your monologue there. So if we can get the first commercial break over, and I can... <laughs> Make a couple of points and ask a couple of questions because we're going to talk about lossless high resolution and spatial audio, but spatial audio is the thing that Apple says is changing music forever. First, I'm very glad that you explained how it works because when I was listening to some of the spatial audio samples on my MacBook Air, which supports Dolby Atmos, so it's got the extra speakers, I put on a jazz in spatial audio playlist that Apple has. They've got a whole bunch of playlists today. Let's make a note that spatial audio is Apple's term. The correct term is Dolby Atmos. This is a trademark technology that Apple has licensed in order to use this, and they're calling it spatial audio, which is fine if they want to call it that. So the second track in this playlist is Monin by Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And I put it down on my MacBook Air, and I was facing the MacBook Air, and the piano sounded like it was coming from the other room. Now, 
It's interesting because it's a clever effect in the sense that it's a gimmicky effect. And what you explained is this comb filter phasing thing. Let's remember that when Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers recorded this album, they did not record it in multi-track, or if they did, they mixed it down to stereo, and Apple does not have a multi-track version. So all of this is just DSP, digital signal processing. And what I was thinking is the only things that sound wide are the higher frequencies. I think it's because those are the sounds, well, there could be a number of reasons, but those are the sounds that are most likely to make things feel spatial. You know, that high end seems to like suggest that there's a wideness. And maybe there's a technical reason for it too, because again, like I said, when I watch football games, I hear people cheering. And of course, they're cheering in that upper high range. That's a high range. And it's always off to the side. You never hear like guys running into each other, crunch, crunch, crunch through the subwoofer and some kind of huge stereo phasing effect to make it sound like an explosion. Although, that wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> In football games. Having yeah, explosions. I'd like that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Fourth um, down explosion. Yeah, Yeah. right, right, right. Oh, he exploded on the field. Oh, whatever. The, the, that high-end sound, when you hear it, it it's, it, it's pretty obvious. And it, uh, again, using the piano, it sounds like it's in another room, or it sounds like it's over there. You know, it has that funny feeling like, gee, that sounds like it's over there. When you first hear something like that, you look around yeah. because you're used to being, you know, in the sweet spot between two speakers or with a single speaker in front of you. And you're trying to figure out where is this coming from? So it's really an oral illusion. I, the thing that, That's the thing that bugs me is that it's an illusion. You, know, you went back to that Art Blakey track and it's like they never intended for us to hear that in spatial audio. In fact, they probably intended for us to hear it in mono. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, so... As an effect, it's it's fun, I guess, if you dig that kind of thing. If you're an Art Blakey purist, you're probably, you know, going to want to vomit. But like The Weeknd said, if you produce a song specifically for this effect, you it might be quite pleasant and enjoyable and, and sound pretty dynamite. But if you're just taking old stuff and just running it through the DSP to make, make Leon Russell's piano sound like it's in your closet, then all right, fine. But... Uh, that's not how I want to hear it, frankly. Uh, I need to point out that I was not familiar with the Weeknd's music. Uh, I thought he did rap. It kind of sounded like a Human League song. Well, is, it's pop. Is, He's a pop, pop Is guy. that what pop has become? Well, pop is all kinds of things. It's like yeah, the top but, 40 has always been. It's just a little more modern. There are more synthesizers than auto-tune. That's, yes. that's, that's okay. how I think of it. So another thing I was thinking when I was listening to this, again, on my MacBook Air, because the new iMac, for some reason, does not support Dolby Atmos for music, yet it does for videos. And I don't understand why. It could be an operating system thing, but I, I think this brand new shiny iMac thinnest ever and lightest should have all the great features. And I was very surprised. You do get a bit of wider stereo, but you don't, like you're talking about, you know, the cheering in the speakers, but it does. I haven't listened to any video Dolby Atmos yet, but I know what to expect, so I didn't even really bother. Yeah. I just, I, I don't watch videos on my computer. I watch them on a, t a TV monitor. Yeah. And, and I tried with like one of the James Bond movies to see how it sounded. And it was interesting because it, I think it's more interesting when it's not on all the time, when you get the effects of the, the, the gunshot, the car driving by, that sort of thing. Yeah. If you overdo, well, it's like a, a, an audio engineer told me a long time ago if you can hear the effect, you're overdoing it. Yeah. So if you overdo any of these effects, they're no good. 
Um, it's funny, you, now you're talking about watching videos with spatial audio, and yesterday you and I were both ready to swear up and down that there was going to be a new piece of gear. Well, Apple had announced that there was going to be some sort of event at noon, so after the end of their WWDC presentation about spatial audio, and all the websites talked about it, and it didn't happen. Right. And so my bet, and I've been saying this now for weeks, is a, what do I call it? A TV pod, a HomePod TV? A, home bar. A home bar. Yes, a TV pod or a home bar. That would be a sound bar, which includes normal speakers and additional speakers for Dolby Atmos, kind of like a pair of home pods and with the Apple TV hardware in it. It, it right. just it would be it's perfect. It kind of makes sense because since a lot of people listen to music in the same room they watch TV and people don't want to have stereo systems, you'd get the advantage of the Dolby Atmos for films, of the spatial audio for music, you'd have the Apple TV hardware, it would be perfect. Yesterday they did a, a yesterday, but we're recording this the day after obviously of the WWDC keynote. Um they, um, what was I going to do? It'll come back. It'll come back, Space Cadet. One thing I noticed when listening to the spatial audio on my MacBook Air. So I would argue that we have developed the ability to recognize certain sound signatures. One of them being a mono speaker, another being a pair of stereo speakers, another being the sounds you get from headphones, right? Headphones, things are coming independently in each ear. You get some resonance through the head, but not that much. Listening to the spatial audio on the MacBook Air sounds like you're listening on headphones. And I think that's what they're trying to produce because headphone listening, come on, do you remember the first time you had a portable device and you were walking around and you had your personal soundtrack in your ears when you were walking around? That was a, a good set of headphones, yeah. That was a pretty big moment. Now, obviously, you've worked yeah. in radio, so you've used headphones for a long time. But more and more people are using headphones and I think they're trying to reproduce that with the spatial audio on the computer. Remember, this spatial audio, the, the files are designed to be listened either on specific headphones, like the AirPods Pro or AirPods Max, or on a computer, or on some other device that supports Dolby Atmos. So I think they've developed this sound signature that everyone has for headphones. And if you're used to listening to music on headphones all the time, then you get home and it's just stereo, you feel like you're missing something. So adding the spatial audio Dolby Atmos recreates a bit of that feeling. Again, it's still an effect. It's like a, it's a, it's an effect looking for a, a problem. <laughs> just an interesting <laughs> effect. Uh, it doesn't, personally, I like listening to music on the iMac. It sound on the new iMac, sounds pretty good. Um, it, it's okay. There's not a lot of low end. No, there's but not. It's, okay. it's it's there. Um, it's nice to listen to music in the background while I'm doing work. It works perfectly for that. It sounds nice and clean. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's on you know dingy little old style MacBook speakers. It sounds quite full and robust for that kind of listening. Obviously, I'm going to listen to bookshelf speakers or bigger when I want to listen for critical listening. But um, that sounded like an audio file thing to say, didn't it? And I have a little sneer in there when I said that. It's kind of, kind of, I yes. sound. Yes, obviously. <laughs> I don't have any argument with anybody if they want to listen to spatial audio and they want to throw some effects on it and they want to throw, uh, why don't you just get a reverb box and put some <laughs> reverb on? I mean, it's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. It's just an effect that the artist 
didn't have any say. Right. And so audiophiles like to talk about, now we're going to get into lossless and high resolution. They talk about hearing music the way the artist intended. And I, I mean, you could pick that apart in so many ways. It's more like the way the producer intended. It's more like the way the producer intended knowing what the medium was that was going to be used to play back the music. They don't they, they, good producers never produced music to sound like it was in the studio. They produced it to sound right. good Right, they know their the limitations. Record. It's a recording. It's You know as far as you can go to make something that's listenable, lookable, appreciable. Um, and if you go too far, then no one's going to want to listen to it. So there are certain expectations and certain conventions that you use. And I think, you know, up until now, um, the stereo has been fine for most people, or maybe loud. Well, I'm not even thinking of stereo. I'm just thinking of the whole high-resolution bit. As you see all these reviews where I heard instruments that I had never heard before. And, okay. So, we have lossless audio now. And we've been talking about this for a few weeks since Apple first announced this. I'm going to link in the show notes to a Apple support document about lossless audio and Apple Music. And there's a very key sentence here. While the difference between AAC and lossless audio is virtually indistinguishable, we're offering Apple Music subscribers the option to access music in lossless audio compression. In other words, we are not dying on this hill. We are not getting into this picky stuff about, I can hear that it's an MP3 or compressed and the compressed files are terrible and stuff. They are not saying anything about that. They're doing it because this is what the market wants. Right. We've been asking for this on there. Here you go. Now, I think it's also important to point out that this is a flanking move to keep Spotify and Amazon from introducing a, a paid-for tier a premium tier, yeah. Yeah, we're going to call it premium. And Apple says, well, it's not premium. Are you kid- <laughs> Who are you kidding? Uh, here you go, everybody. That's lossless for everybody for the same price. So I think that was interesting that they did that. Um, because we've been saying for years, just throw the switch. Get you- All the stuff is delivered in lossless anyway, in one form or another, one format or another, whether it's FLAC or ALAC or whatever. And... I, I don't know why they haven't done it. Maybe because of bandwidth. Maybe people would complain about that. I think about bandwidth, bandwidth is a big issue, but you do have settings on your Mac, on your iOS devices. Interestingly, I expected there to have to be a system update, but they just flipped a switch for the new settings to show up. They did it overnight, I think. It's the same version of iTunes as it was yesterday. It's Now yeah. it's got this new preference. When I, when I woke up this morning, I checked on both my iPhone and my Mac, and it was visible. The other, wait a minute, the other interesting thing uh, about, you know, we're talking about if you want AAC or lossless or high... Res, there's also an HE high efficiency version. You can, which are incredibly small files that are that sound pretty good. Mostly they're used for voice and things like that. But uh, and I haven't really listened to it with any music. But I suppose you could if you are really in a very uh, bad bandwidth place and you you know you've got to hear that Santana album. Well. I'm pretty sure that people listening to music on an iPhone have been listening to that already because I'm pretty sure the iPhone modulated the bit rate the same way when you're watching Netflix, it would it would detect your bit rate and it would change the quality. Oh, I see, I'm right. I'm pretty sure, th- I, I don't know if I can dig up a document about that, but I'm pretty sure it's been like that since the beginning. I'll have to look because I've uh, high efficiency is, was also a, a codec that was available in the old QuickTime player. And, it's been around for a long time, yeah. but as you say, it's mostly used for voice, and it's really good for compressing podcasts and audiobooks. Yes, um, and it's also available as uh, the AF part of the AF convert 
suite of, of formats that it can do too. Which so. is a tool on the Mac that you can use yes. to convert among 8,000 different formats. Right. Every format available. So lossless audio, um, you can listen to this on any device. It's not going to, you don't need any special hardware, but then you get to the high resolution. And again, Apple is not really talking much about high resolution. They're just saying that if you want to listen to high resolution music, in fact, they're not even calling out high resolution music. They're just saying to listen to songs at sample rates higher than 48 kilohertz, you need an external digital to analog converter. So they're not even saying that high resolution music sounds better. Which, again, all the audiophiles, it's got to be high res. And sorry, you know, I know we have a lot of audiophiles who listen. And we tend to be, what would I say, sarcastic a little bit? No. So here's the thing. And I'll link to an article on my website where I explain this. If you're going to start downloading high resolution stuff and listen to it on your iMac, you're not going to hear anything different from whether it's lossless or AAC. You need a DAC, you need speakers, you need speakers that go up to the right frequencies, the magical bat's ears frequencies that humans can't hear. You need good equipment. Now, our friend Chris Conacher has $50,000 speakers. He can hear the difference. I trust him. But $2,000 speakers, even with a DAC and an amplifier that are pretty good, you probably won't hear the difference unless you've got really good room treatment and golden ears. So I think the high res is just, I don't want to say it's a gimmick, but I think it's a gimmick. Okay. It's a gimmick, and but other but it's usable. It's serviceable, right? Oh, it's serviceable, and it's not like spatial audio where it's manipulated. It's no, quite the opposite. It's the, re it's the real it, deal. So, I mean, if that's the sort of thing you like, then... Apple just made you happy, I guess, right? On well, audio they files don't have like a this? lot of high-res music yet. Okay, but for the most part, if you wanted to listen to, if you wanted high-res music from Apple, it's some of it is available. Yeah, and you don't have to pay the exorbitant prices to buy it by download. It's sold usually like, I don't know, around twice the price of normal downloads, if not more. And some services sell different qualities of lossless depending on the sample rate. So 96 kilohertz would be, let's say, twice the price. 192 would be That's three times the price. That's because it takes six people to make to, to make that conversion. They got a, you got they got a, they got six guys in a room and all kinds of switches <laughs> that they got to be pulled at the same time. It, it's artisanal audio file conversion. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think one of the bad things is that we're going to see this spatial audio applied to the entire Apple Music catalog soon. Well, yeah, they've announced it in the fall. They had a vague statement, which I can't find right now, but that in the fall, it will be available for all Apple Music. But I can shut it off, right? You can shut it off in the preferences and settings, yes. And it's a good idea to do so because it, it, it just doesn't, you know, but I mean, you might like it. You know when it would be good? You're having a party. Sure. Right? You want the music to flow between the people. Yeah. You, you want the high end because that's what people hear. You, 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 want, you want it to be more alive. And, and I would say... You want it to sound like a rave. Let's face it. That's what you want. You want that warehouse rave sound. Yeah, but rave, rave is more like big subwoofers. Uh, okay. I'm talking, you know, a small dance party, but you, you won't. Yeah, I know. You throw that on, you throw the crossfade on, and you're like, you got your own automatic DJ and you're partying, and yeah. you got the six people over. Yeah, and they're all that on. would work. The, the guys that were working on the DAC a minute ago, they're all. <laughs> okay, so another thing about listening to spatial audio on headphones. Now, obviously, you will need specific headphones in order to do this. 
And the only ones that support spatial audio are the AirPods Pro and the AirPods Max. And I think there might be a Beats that does as well. I, I, I saw specifically that Beats, no Beats headphones can do it. I think, or it was implied that there weren't. I know my Beats Solo Pros won't do it. Well, my guess is there will be some soon. Okay. But so Apple points out, again, on this same document about lossless audio. Can I listen to lossless audio using AirPods, AirPods Pro, or AirPods Max? This is lossless, we're not talking spatial. And Apple says that these headphones use Apple's AAC Bluetooth codec to ensure excellent audio quality. Bluetooth connections don't support lossless audio. So you can spend, what is it, 549 pounds, about, I guess, five or $600 for the AirPods Max, and you'll get spatial audio in the AirPods Max, but it won't be lossless. In fact, I believe it's 264 kilobits per second. So it's a tiny bit more, that's the, the top end of the Bluetooth codec. Right. So these spatial audio files are probably 256K. The majority of the file is going to be the stereo, and then Adobe Atmos can have up to 10 other channels. I think it can have up to 100 other channels, but for music, it's 10. And these are probably much lower quality channels for the spatial audio bit. So let's say you're getting a 192K base file, and the rest of that data is made up by the spatial audio data. So if you're listening to spatial audio, the quality is going to be a little bit less the, the overall bitrate quality of the bass music, but you won't get lossless on Apple's most expensive headphones. You won't even get lossless if you plug it in. So there is a lightning to 3.5 millimeter cable. And here's why you won't get lossless because the, let's say you plug it into an iPhone. The iPhone converts the digital music to analog and then the analog converts it back to digital through this cable. So you're not going to get lossless no matter what because of the double conversion. Right. That's too bad about the double conversion. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. And, and about a month ago, I was thinking, you know, I really should buy the AirPods Max because I like that idea of spatial audio. It'd be interesting. But then I realized that the audio quality is crap. And while it would be interesting for watching movies, and, and I think this is a great way to get surround sound without miles of cables and speakers all over the place. And I did that once. I had a 5.1 system. Apple, where's that home bar? Yeah. <laughs> you want a home bar. Yep. It's like, it's just, it's just right there. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. They probably See, got one built already, ready to go. Yeah. The, the problem with surround sound, I mentioned this on Twitter not long ago. I said, oh man, no one wants surround sound. It's a hassle with all the speakers. And someone replied, well, everyone I know has a 5.1 system. It's because they have to. No, it's because it's everyone the guy knows because he just knows yeah, people right. have them, well, right? Okay, right. Exactly. But, I mean, if you want to have this kind of sound, that's what you got to do. But it's still ridiculous to gear up with all yeah. that stuff. I took. I don't have four speakers set up in my house at all anymore. I'm just strictly stereo, maybe a subwoofer in one or two places. For a few years, I had a, I guess technically it was a 3.1 setup. I had a center speaker for dialogue, uh, right and left speakers, and a woofer. And since I moved to the Sonos Beam soundbar, I don't need anything more. I don't even have a woofer connected. It's got good bass. I don't need to feel the See, house vibrate. Listen to what you're saying. If Just take Sonos soundbar out of there and put Apple, Apple home, bar home bar in there. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. you're the guy. You would buy one, right? I'd buy one in a, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I'd order one now. And they didn't. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier. They tried. There was a segment in yesterday's presentation where... They were saying, look, you can use your HomePod minis with your Apple TV. 
And I'm saying, okay, now here comes Craig and he's going to have the home bar. And he didn't. They just, so they really want to just, they want people to use the HomePod minis. We anticipate, now I want, can you But the HomePod mini can't do spatial audio. But what I wanted you to, uh, what I want you to explain is, you remember how the HomePods, they let them just wither away? There there are no more? Well, they discontinued them, yeah. And you hypothesized that something along these lines was already ready in the pipeline, and that's why they let it wither. Because there was going to be a replacement. Because they didn't want to keep manufacturing it. Yeah. Initially, my idea was like a HomePod Pro because Apple needs something in audio because Apple Music is so important to this company. And my guess is that they had something prepared, but it wasn't ready. And since they didn't want to keep manufacturing HomePods, they have this gap. And it's kind of interesting that just before they discontinued the HomePod, they announced that you could use them with Dolby Atmos connected to an Apple TV. That's right, they did. And why do you add a new feature to a product you're discontinuing? It just it just feels like there's something coming. Yeah, um, I, I'm just very surprised. Now, I suppose that new product could have been the HomePod Minis. Could have no, been. because no, because it doesn't support Dolby Atmos. Oh, you right. see, the HomePod Mini is a single speaker. Right, right, right. Whereas the the big HomePod is the one woofer and the seven tweeters, and that's what gets the Dolby Atmos, and it's beamforming and all that. So the HomePod Mini is, it's like those little computer speakers that you plugged into your TV <laughs> back in the 90s. You know, it's like that. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, well, it maybe sounds a little bit better. Yeah, I think they but probably But it, it's just like the writing is on the wall. I, I should really... ReserveHomeBar.com. I'll see if that's available later. Because, no, seriously, <laughs> it, it just makes sense. Yeah. TV, audio, Atmos, spatial audio. Games. We games. Keep, you know, you and I always yes. forget games are huge. and we, don't, we are not big gamers at all, really, except maybe on the iOS. But uh, games are huge on the TV. Or if they're not, Apple would yes, like them to Apple be. Arcade. So this is a kind of component that makes games a lot more fun. Spatial audio. Shooting the asteroids down while they're flying around your living room? Like, I mean, come on. I think that's just a pretty so dynamic So one of the thing. things about spatial audio is, and so this I don't get from music, but if you have Dolby Atmos movie and you've got, say, the AirPods Max, if you turn your head, the audio soundstage is going to move with you. So if you're looking at the screen and James Bond is talking, then you turn 90 degrees to the left, he's going to be talking in your right ear. So there's, there's That's spooky. Well, it is, but they're going to do this with music. Can you imagine that you turn your head and you hear the guitar solo on one side instead of the middle? It makes zero sense. That's an that's a level of artificiality that I really don't care for. And you know, to me, just set the band up, do the do the the cross microphone thing to put two microphones in front of them and just rec- and hit record yeah. and you're done. <laughs> that's as, that's what yeah. I want to hear. I don't want to hear all kinds of groovy effects. Not that, not that pop music or there isn't a, not that there isn't a place in pop music in, for, for this kind of effect. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I think, as I said, I think uh, there'll be a lot of interesting music produced. I don't think it's the way music is going to be forever. I just think it's going to be an, an interesting option for some people. You're not going to be able to hear these effects on your clock radio. That's for sure. No, you're not. You're not. But didn't uh, in the 70s quadraphonic sound there were a lot yeah. of records produced mm, back then. But there were more and there were more tapes because tapes were were the the ideal way to play quadraphonic. But yeah, there were, but that was just a fad too. That only lasted a couple of years. Yeah, it didn't last. I remember when I saw Pink Floyd do the wall, they had a quadraphonic setup in the arena. 
So they had the the big speakers on the stage, and then they had two banks of speakers on the back, kind of like rear speakers in a 5.1 system. When I saw Bowie, um, they had, uh, when they did Station to Station, you know how the train at the beginning of the song goes, shoo, 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 shoo. well, the thing was spinning around yeah. the arena. It was pretty intense. I think... If Pink Floyd was still around, they would love the spatial audio. And, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, that would be perfect for that, or even Animals. But the, the thing is, they back in the quadraphonic day, they were doing it for the effects of the effects. Now, good producers are doing it because it provides ambience. And like that Weakened track, is it, yeah. is it pronounced Weakened? The Weakened. <laughs> Um, you could hear that it was, particularly on MacBook Air, you could hear it was just an ambient effect. It wasn't forced, like in the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers thing, where the piano was in the other room, which is kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I, yeah, I, I don't want to think that Art Blakey's in my room because, you know, it'd be, it's well, been no, years. Well, no, no. If Art Blakey's playing, I want him to be playing in the room I'm in, not the room next door. That's what it sounded like. It sounded like way too far away. And even if I moved back, even if I moved back from my computer, you still get that separation from a distance. Now, hold on. I'm going to just keep saying something before you interrupt. This does eliminate a bit of the tyranny of the sweet spot. Now, I'll link back to our episode where we talked about is stereo wrong? And we both did some testing with two speakers next to each other, yet pointed outward, towed out, and that you get a better stereo effect than two speakers on the side pointing in because you've got to be in the sweet spot. And here, you've got all your speakers in the center radiating outward. So at a distance, it does sound better. And also using those phasing effects to create yes. other spatial effects. I would be interested to know what our friend Timo uh, thinks about recording a solo piano in a spatial. Now, I can see him doing some songs not spatially, and some songs they might apply uh, to that. Well, he does a lot of uh, ambient stuff. He does ambient-related stuff. So I, I wonder how a musician would feel about having his work done like that. How would you... I guess you need special gear. You need to buy a... What, a, a, you, an encoder you've or something? you got to have extra microphones. Yeah, you've got to have a lot of and stuff. And you're probably recording it through a specific encoder, right? which is how Dolby gets their income. Yeah, right. The video on Apple Music that shows someone else in the studio, you can see that he's got a sort of a model on screen of the positioning of the various sounds in Dolby Atmos. So I think you can record it and you can position them in the soundscape. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Uh, you might be able to do this in specific software. I'm not sure if Logic does this. Skywalker Sound does music stuff doing that sort of thing. What do they use? The uh, Oh, they've got some kind of Star Wars-oriented name for it. I was, uh, uh, a person I follow on Twitter was recording some stuff in a studio, and then they took it to Skywalker Studios and did more stuff to make it more... I don't know. Well, actually, now I don't remember what they were doing to it, but somehow it strikes well, me that they were doing it. Well, I think as long as you record from different locations, like a surround sound recording, you can feed those individual tracks into something that's probably going to extrapolate the sounds from them and mix them together in different ways. You do synthetic things on different tracks. I wonder if you could have a computer say, I want these frequencies to go here and I want these frequencies to go there and... There's well, probably an algorithm that. like that, because as you said yeah. in the beginning, you apply a filter and phasing, and it's the high frequencies that are most recognizable. Right. There's a reason for this, because the high frequencies are shorter waves, and so we can hear them, uh, we can hear their location a lot easier. The low frequencies, that's why you can use a single subwoofer, 
because the bass waves are so long that you couldn't hear it in stereo anyway. Right, no distinction. So the the, the only space you're going to get in sound is at the higher end. So you mentioned that it's free, and I think that's interesting. When Apple upgraded movies on the iTunes Store to 4K, it was also free. Now, when they went from 128 with DRM to 256 without DRM, it wasn't free. They increased the price from 99 cents per song to $1.29, and the album price started going up at that point. And you had to pay 30 cents a song if you wanted to upgrade to DRM-free tracks, and it was a hassle. And But now I think they've realized that they don't need to keep squeezing the stone and get more blood. They announced another thing, iCloud Plus, which is going to have some interesting privacy features, and that too is going to be free if you have a paid iCloud account. And that paid iCloud account starts at 99 cents a month. If you want to go from the paltry five gigabyte storage they give you up to the next level, which is 50 gigabytes, you pay 99 cents a month. So anyone who's paying 99 cents a month is going to get these extra privacy features. Oh, boy. At the same time, they didn't up the five gigabyte storage, which is pretty bad. But you know what they did that's interesting? Some people here might want to know that. If you're upgrading from, say, iOS 14 to iOS 15, and you don't have enough storage in iCloud, Apple will loan you the storage for up to three weeks for the time to upgrade because you're going to need to back up your device and you may not have enough space. And they want you to be able to back up your device and upgrade. That's pretty cool. So that's a good idea. Yep. All right. Next tracks? Absolutely. I like a lot of Philip Glass's music, but other than Einstein on the Beach, I don't know his operas very well. A recording made of Satyagraha at the Metropolitan Opera House from 2011 was just released on CD, and I think it might be available on video. I think this has been one of the things that the Metropolitan Opera has streamed into cinemas. Two and a half hours, there's three acts. One, The first is about Tolstoy, the second about Tagore, and the third about Martin Luther King. I've listened to bits of it. This is the kind of thing you really need to sit down and pay a lot of attention because each act is a story and each act has three tracks and they're from like 10 to 20 minutes or 25 minutes long. And it's it's a big opera in scale. And so this is what I'm going to listen to at some point this week when I can listen to some music and I'm not podcasting, but I don't know a whole lot about it. So if anyone is into Philip Glass, apparently this is a very good recording and, and performance of Satyagraha. Doug, do you have something you're going to listen to this week? I certainly do. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but over the weekend, Clarence Williams III died. Clarence Williams III, to people of our generation, was Link Hayes on The Mod Squad. That got me thinking about Clarence Williams, the original. And Clarence Williams, the original, is a jazz uh, orchestra leader from the uh, early 20th century. And uh, when I was in high school, my fa I, I discovered some retrospective albums from the Clarence Williams Orchestra that my father had. So I'd listen to them because... They had that nice corny sound. You remember, like, animations from the 30s? They have that... And there's a lot of banjo. And that's what this stuff sounded like. It was this hokey, corny sound and stuff. And I, I kind of liked it. It was jazz, called the Jazz Orchestra. And I, I, I like Paul Whiteman, too. You know, the the, the Jazz Orchestra that debuted the, uh, the Rhapsody in Blue and that kind of stuff. So I like music from that era. Haven't listened to it in years. So... Clarence Williams III died, and I immediately thought, oh, Clarence Williams, I should go see if any of his stuff is on Apple Music. Now, I haven't listened to this stuff in years, and it looks like somebody decided to clean it all up, because the stuff that I was used to listening to sounded like it was pretty much just lifted off of old 
acetated, old crappy records and then just repressed. The sound of this stuff now is so impressive. Um, that rinky-dinky-tanky-danky sound that I thought was comical is gone. And this very solid, appreciable orchestra sound, this jazz orchestra sound, it's, it's terrific. There's a bunch of his stuff available, but the only uh, we'll post the album I'm going to be listening to. I don't even know if this is available on Amazon because a lot of this stuff is in the public domain and owned by who knows. Um, so these recordings are really just up for grabs. But I did find a good one, and that's the one I'll post. But this stuff is really surprising. Um, you know, I don't know why I thought it was comical because it's not comical. It's a lot of great blues and jazz stuff that's on these recordings. So. If you've got, a, if you're wondering what music sounded like before World War II, and somewhere around World War One, I, I would definitely uh, check out this album. It's Clarence Williams and his orchestra, and these are going to be the QRS Recordings Volume One. This was episode number two hundred and eleven of the Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comment section of this episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.